You are now listening to Chomp Chats, conversations to enhance the Gator family experience. And I really had to learn to apply what I do with my students to my own children. And honestly, it's, it's not easy because you have patterns you've developed with your children their whole lives. You are now listening to Chump Chats, where we have conversations to enhance the Gator family experience. I'm your host, Shaquille Lowe, and today I'm joined by Lynn Osicki. Lynn, how's it going? It is going okay. It is a beautiful day outside on campus. It's spring break, so there's a nice uh, quiet <laughs> outside For that now, we're all least. enjoying. Yes. Absolutely. So, And that's one of the things we'll talk about. So what are the differences in the semester? I know that like it's spring break and many people have the idea that, you know, people who work on college campuses, we get to go on vacation, but that's not the case. You were telling me that you've been <laughs> no. kind of busy this week. Oh, no, no, no. Spring break is a big time for us to prepare for advanced registration for the fall um, and summer classes. So students will come back from spring break and they're going to hit the ground running in terms of their academic planning. It's also right midpoint in the semester, essentially. So students will come back and they're going to be realizing, oh, I'm struggling with this class. I didn't do so well on the last exam. And maybe they were sort of putting off thinking about those things before spring break because they wanted that mental relaxation. Absolutely. But now they need to face them and, and deal with whatever academic issues they need to tackle. Awesome. So we mentioned academics, and I want to dive deep in that today um, because I know what you do. But if you can, can you introduce yourself for our sure. listeners and kind of share what it is that you get to do here at the University of Florida? So here at UF, I am an academic advisor. I'm actually the associate director in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences Academic Advising Center. I've been here for 27 years. Wow. <laughs> Started as um, an academic advisor. I was working with the pre-health students, gradually became an assistant director, associate director, um, and now I am associate director for residential students because we now have an online population in liberal arts and sciences as well as in many other colleges. So I've been working with college students and their families for a very long time, especially at UF, although I did work a couple of years at another institution before there. Um, and our goal in advising on overall on campus is to empower students to make decisions. Um, we don't make decisions for students. We don't choose classes for students. Instead, we try to provide them with the kind of information they need to make decisions and also some information on how to make good decisions because when you're 18 or 19, certain things may seem more important in decision making. But if you look at a bigger picture, you might realize, oh, that information is not, not really accurate. So a lot of our students make what we would call anecdotal <laughs> decisions, <Absolutely. laughs> right? So they hear their friends say, this major's perfect, this professor's awesome, and they think, oh, that's going to work perfectly for me, not considering, oh, I might have a learning, different learning style than my friend. And so that professor won't work as well for me. Or I prefer a professor that really, you know, lays things out very clearly. And my friend is somebody who likes to kind of go with the flow. And they're more about, you know, sort of what, how entertaining the professor is. <laughs> and so we try to help students develop those sort of uh, more sophisticated de decision-making skills as they progress through UF. We also, of course, really want to see students succeed and graduate. 
it isn't always in the major they started in. In fact, a lot of students realize that major is not the best fit for them. I know you personally had some experience <laughs> with that. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so did I as an undergraduate. And so helping students realize how to make a good major decision and then also what's a good fit for them so they can be really successful, graduate, and help prepare them to move on after UF. Perfect. I think about what you said, because if it were for my original choices, I'd be somebody's software engineer one day. But instead, I'm here um, working at the University of Florida, which is, I think, a little bit more rewarding. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of things. You uh, you mentioned your uh, years of experience in advising. So we're going to go back to that. But then you also um, you, you work with our office in many other ways because you're one of our family ambassadors. Can you kind of talk about that and introduce sure. us to maybe your family and how um, and how you all navigate? Sure. So I'm the parent of two college students. Um, I have one at UF and one who is transitioning between schools, um, which I think uh, helps me understand even more what it's like when your student may have a moment of struggle or moments of doubt about whether they're in the right place, whether they're pursuing the right goal. Um, so my students, um, I've learned over the years that there are a few things that I didn't really understand as an advisor that I've learned as a parent. So one of the, the big things is that your students turn to parents and family members when they are at their most sort of panicked, their most down. Mm -hmm. And often family members are the refuge. They're the place that you can dump all of your negative emotions. And surprisingly, sometimes they do that and then they move on. And your student then goes to class and they're fine or they talk to the professor and they sort it out or they you know, make up with a friend that they were having a disagreement with. In the meantime, you're sitting there at home really worried about your student. Oh my God, she was crying last night. Oh my goodness. He said, it sounds like he's not going to pass that class. And in fact, the student often has resolved the problem, but you as a parent are still sitting there worried about it. Because one of the things they do is once they've unloaded on you, they don't necessarily tell you the conclusion. <laughs> absolutely. And I think for students, sometimes the unloading is really what they need oh, to do. Oh, absolutely. And parents are the safe place. Family members are the safe place. It's really hard for college students to want to unload all of their anxiety and their fear about how they're doing, in, whether it's socially or in classes, with peers until they develop a really, really close peer relationship. And that usually takes at least a year mm -hmm. on campus. Unless they came with somebody really close from high school, they're not going to have that outlet. So they're going to rely on their family members as that sort of emotional dumping ground absolutely and and that can be rough as a family member because you sit there worried and anxious whereas your student is just relieved that burden is mm -hmm. off of them and they move forward and try and, and deal with things as they are and one of the things that makes me think about is you know I work with family members every day and so I get to hear from them and so often family members will think that their student is not enjoying their experience because every time they call home it's something <laughs> constructive or they've had a bad day but often you know the students are really enjoying you know campus life they're even enjoying classes but because they only hear you know the the valleys yes. if you will of their experience they feel like their student may not be enjoying their time yeah there's no question um students if your student is happy and busy, 
They don't have time <laughs> to let you know about Absolutely. it. They're like, I've got stuff going on. And they, when you say, how are you doing? They're like, good. And you know, you're texting back and forth, but that's all you're getting. And then when they're feeling in a pit for whatever reason, socially, personally, school-wise, that's when you're getting that phone call. That's when you're having that heart-to-heart talk. Um, and so what I've learned over the years is really just to make sure that you help your student figure out what their next steps are in whatever issue they have. You know, so I'll give you a non-school example, if you don't mind, and then I'll give you a school example. So my non-school example is um, my daughter, (laughs) who is a wonderful, uh, classic overachiever. Um, She was invited at the last minute to become an RA. And she had already uh, set up all her housing for the next year with a roommate. And my daughter was very tempted. And so she basically messaged her roommate, who was one of her best friends, and said, I'm really thinking of doing this. And her best friend was like, wait. We're supposed to be staying together. We're supposed to be staying together. I had a random roommate last year that didn't work out as well. I was really looking forward to living with you. I'm hugely disappointed. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? So first of all, my daughter hadn't made a final decision, but she communicated it to her friend, which created a whole bunch of anxiety. So when my daughter let me know, she said, oh my goodness, my friend is so upset at me. I was like, okay, let's reel this back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I had to help her realize, number one, you hadn't made any sort of decision. Number two, you did make a commitment to your friend, and that needs to be part of your decision. And number four, you need to apologize to your friend that you jumped the gun, that you didn't discuss it with her, um, and that you really wanted to back everything up and kind of start over. This is something you might want to consider, but you're going to take into consideration the commitment you made to your friend. And by the end of that night, because this was sort of one long day of texts and I messages. I can only imagine. <laughs> um, by about 11 o'clock at night, she's like, oh, my friend is, is talking to me again. We're going to work it out. And then the next day she said, oh, I'm just going to live with my friend because it's not fair. Plus, I'm not, I can do it another time. I can be an RA another time. Absolutely. And so. that's, I think that's really important for lots of students to remember with their student leadership positions. There are lots of things to honor. And sometimes it's the academic piece to that that yeah. students should honor. Um, but that the your student involvement opportunities, many of those will come back around. There will be another time. So Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, I would say with academics, uh, with, you know, my son who has had some health struggles, Um, academically for me it has been much more now I'm an academic advisor so I have information he's not at UF um, but I have information I have stuff I can give him but I have to recognize that he needs to take the lead I can provide information I can suggest resources to him but I can't make him do anything he is a young adult I also need to recognize that he needs to want to take advantage of something or that he needs to feel comfortable. So in the end, a lot of my conversations with him have been about how do you feel comfortable approaching a professor when something's going wrong with you academically due to your health, when maybe you haven't brought the health issue up with your professor before. And so for him, it was a big learning curve. Um, And we see this with a lot of UF students. They're registered with the Disability Resource Center, or even worse, they don't register with the Disability Resource Center. But they do have 
you know, an underlying, it might be ADHD, it might be a, a um, chronic, you know, like a Crohn's disease or something like that. It could be any number of things. And they're, they're doing fine. They've been doing fine all through high school. They haven't needed any extra assistance. They get to college and suddenly everything's a little more stressful, a little tighter. What you took over the course of an academic year in high school, you're now doing in 15 weeks. It's, it's tight, and, and, and it can be very uh, full of pressure for students, and a lot of times that can kick off health issues. And so students really have to learn to be frank. They have to learn to self-advocate, um, which is not something that we as parents have necessarily been very good at. Um, when my son was in high school and he was very sick, almost missed two whole years of high school, well, one, one year of middle school and one year of high school, um, he wasn't in the shape to self-advocate, but he was also, you know, 13 and 17. <laughs> now he's at college. I'm not there. He's got to self-advocate. He's got to be able to go to somebody and say, hey, here's what's going on. It really helps if they're registered with the Disability Resource Center because that means they have the, the sort of uh, official the leverage, administrative yeah. support. But at the same time, the thing that most students are stunned by is actually how human and nice most professors are. And many of them went through similar things in college themselves. So they know what it's like to be sick. They know what it's like to have a grandparent who's ill. They know what, often they even themselves know what it's like to have problems with a mental health or other kind of health issue. So, you know, helping my son recognize and be, you know, be willing to step forward and just ask for help once a student's done that the first time, it's amazing because then they suddenly realize it's it's not like they're going to say, get out of my office. I don't <laughs> want to hear what you have to say, which honestly, they really fear that rejection. They really fear that the person is going to be like that harsh with them when in fact most people are super sympathetic, even if they can't make exceptions because of fairness to other students. But Still understand. Still very understanding and will still try to do what they can to help the student. Unfortunately, I think that's one of the classic cases where students will build this idea of a professor, instructor, or dean as something that they've seen on TV. And we know that not to be the case all the time. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a moment of struggle or moment of doubt that students have. And, and you said that you know a little bit of that from your personal experience. Can you talk to me how you navigate those moments You know, with your students knowing that this is a time when they need a little bit more support, but how do you you know, join the fact that you are an academic advisor, you are a campus professional. How do you mesh that experience in helping your students? So it's interesting. Um, you know, for my student at UF, it's that I know so many more resources than she does, right? Um, but the other piece is, again, really asking questions to allow them to come to conclusions about what they need to do next. So not one of the things that we're bad at and I mean we as people, um, but even we as parents, is listening. <laughs> we hear the panic in our students' voice and we immediately rush to support, react, whatever. And we don't stop and think, okay, where's this coming from? Let me get more detail. What's really going on? Um, I had a student in my office the other day, Now, this is not as a parent, but I think this is a wonderful example. The student was referred by her parent and the student came in and she told me she was having some health issues. They were impacting her grades. And she was practically in tears. I mean, she was really, really anxious, really, really upset. And so I said, okay, 
let's roll this back a little. Let's start with, tell me about how you're doing in each one of these classes. The student was making five A's and one C. Wow. And so <laughs> and the student in her head, she wasn't making all A's, and she was worried about that C, and that overwhelmed the fact that she was doing well in all these other classes. And in fact, the C is a very sal salvageable grade four weeks in, or eight weeks into the semester. You're not doomed if you have a C after the first exam. And so when we actually talked it through from that perspective, you know, I asked her that very concrete question. So let's wait, let's take a moment, see where you stand with these classes. Um, that's really what helped her realize I'm, I'm not as bad off as I thought. I mean, it was really, really funny. Well. She really did. She was like, you're right. And I was like, and you need to keep telling yourself that you need to remind yourself I'm making A's and here's my one C and I can work on that. So as a parent, one of the things I try to do is get to that more objective stuff. So a student will, you know, your, your child will tell you like, oh, I really think I failed that exam. Um, actually had a chat with my son about this the other day. It wasn't exactly failing the exam, but, you know, struggling with a specific aspect in a class. And I was like, how much is it worth on the syllabus? Because a lot of times students see, you know, failing one assignment or turning it in late or whatever as like the doom. I'm definitely going to fail the class when in fact it might be 5% of the grade. <laughs> and so again, it's more thinking about, okay, so what's the plan going forward? What does this mean? If it's 40% of your grade, then you've got to figure out what can I do to ameliorate that problem? If it's 5%, then you think about, okay, can I wash my hands of that and move forward and be successful in all the other pieces of the puzzle? And so actually asking questions to get facts rather than getting yourself caught up in your own student's emotion, that, that's something that I learned. Now, keep in mind, my son's been at school for a long time, and that was not my first reaction. <laughs> my first reaction was, oh, my God, you poor thing, you know, just like any, any other parent. Let me come in and solve the problem yeah, for you. Yeah, like any other parent, you know. What can we do about this? We. What can we do about mm -hmm. this? And I really had to learn to apply what I do with my students to my own children. And honestly... It's, it's not easy because you have patterns you've developed with your children their whole lives, and you think you know everything about them, and honestly, you don't. <laughs> yes. You really don't. Um, it's, it's just like that moment as a, as a family member when you hear from another parent about your student's behavior, but good or bad. I was watching your student... Um, in band camp, and I was so impressed about how she helped the ninth graders feel really at home, you know. Mm -hmm. And you think to yourself, oh, <laughs> like I did, yes, my students, yes, that's my baby, yeah, that's my baby. <laughs> or, you know, hey, you know, I was watching your son, and he, I, I don't want to make, make it out like every problem is my son, so, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I was watching your child, and I noticed that, you know, they weren't really thoughtful about the way other students were, you know, we're perceiving what was happening in this situation. And you think, okay, so is there a way to address this with my student? Because you know, if you have a high schooler, you don't just say like, you need to shape up kid because they're not going to totally ignore that. So you have to think about ways in, in my experience to, to ask the student, how did you feel about that experience? What do you think you could have been done better? And how do you move forward? And so, you know, 
when you see other perspectives on your student, it really does it really does open your eyes and it shows you that you only know certain sides of your student and you also tend to carry things from their childhood that don't necessarily they're define who they are as adults. And one of the things you mentioned, which I really appreciate and I think is a message for many of our family members is that you are a content area, I mean, excuse me, content expert in the happenings at the University of Florida. But you've said that, you know, you still allow your daughter to make her own decisions while being a student. And I think so many times family members who, you know, because students will choose a major sometimes, you know, because their dad did that or their grandparent did that or someone in their family you know, was a engineer, was an engineer, and they want to be an engineer. And so then we get this classic case of family members thinking, oh, well, I know this information. I am the content expert here. I've been doing this for X amount of years. Therefore, this is what you need to do while you're at university to make it to where I am. Yes. What would you say about What would that? I say to that? Well, so the things that I've just learned as a parent, but also seen over and over again as an advisor, the first is things change. So advice somebody who went to medical school 20 years ago or 30 years ago is going to give someone about admission to medical school now may not be valid. Um, a lot of things have changed in what medical schools look for. And in fact, the competitiveness of medical schools has changed <laughs> substantially. The other piece is it's that same push and pull that you always have as a parent. Even if you think you know your kid, a lot of times you're you're not recognizing that your student may be developing, especially on campus, away from you. They may be developing interests, skills, talents, passions that you hadn't seen in high school. And, and keep in mind, high school is extremely limiting. You take whatever, a total of 15 subjects, 16 subjects in all four years. You have, you know, X number of activities available. The day is super tight. You've got to do everything during the day. Then you have your after-school activity, whatever it is. And then you have um, all of the homework. And these days, that's a lot, a lot for our yes. students. I mean, compared to when I went to high school and I had a lot of free time, our students don't have a lot of free time. So they, be, they come here and they see just this humongous range of options, course-wise, but also like outside school. And they start to look at the world a little differently. And sometimes that means they develop something that, that really surprises you. So I'll, I'll use as, a, as an example, my son um, has developed, I would say, political opinions that are much more extreme than mine. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be frank. Um, and I, and I honor those. I, I believe in, as an old person, I believe <laughs> that some of the extremeness of his opinions has to do with naivete. In other words, I've been around the block. I've seen how some of these ideas play out in the real world and they don't work as well as he thinks they would. Um, but I can't tell him not not to believe those things. And honestly, he's looking at the world from his perspective, what he and his peers are seeing, and it is not the same world that I grew up in. So part of what I think, you know, I hold as my opinions are, you know, are valid, but also maybe his opinions are more valid than, than my initial reaction. So at the moment, we mostly don't talk about it too much. <laughs> 
Um, because right now, I don't think either of us is going to convince the other one. But I, I recognize he absolutely has not just the right, but has, it's, gosh, I, I'm so pleased that he cares so much. Mm-hmm. Right? When you really think about it, do you not want your children to care about what happens in this world mm-hmm. and to want the world to be a better place? And that's really where he's coming from. Um, it just happens to be, you know, not the way I think it should be. <laughs> and I was having a very similar conversation with one of my friends the other day. And it was along the lines of how students often come to university and they start to establish their own opinions and different things. But sometimes, you know, they don't get that familial support like you're offering your student. Well, it took me a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And so I always say that I think it's important for people to remember that the university space is a meeting of the minds and people are learning from all different avenues. So it's in the classroom and then a plethora of ways outside the classroom that they are learning. How did you do it? You say it's not always been that way, but did it just happen one day and you're like, okay, I'm just going to let my student believe XYZ. Like, how did you do that? How did you come one with the fact that your student was changing before your eyes? Because I recognize I couldn't do anything about it. To learn more about Lynn and her experience as an academic advisor and a Gator mom, listen to our next episode. And we'd love to hear from you. Share your feedback by visiting our website at families.dso.ufl.edu or emailing us at ihaveagator at ufl.edu. And as always, thanks for listening to Chomp Chats, where we help Gator families transition to the Gator Nation. Gator Nation.